last week I mentioned the fact that um, through covenant, uh, God has, or God used covenant as a way of obligating himself by his grace to humanity. Before the fall, and especially after the fall, God established covenant as the legal means through which he could step into the earth and partner with humanity. In defining covenant very simply, covenant was an agreement between God and man. An agreement between God and man, and every covenant had terms and it had benefits. Every covenant had terms and it had benefits. And um, if man obeyed the terms of God's covenant, the benefit of that covenant is the fact that God, through his grace, would be able to legally come into the life of that man or come into the life of that people and make himself available or make his grace available to humanity. Now, especially after the fall, when man uh, and woman fell and humanity fell, man was legally under the dominion of darkness. For Romans 5.12 says, through one man, sin came into the world and death by sin, and death reigned on all men. So God could not legally just come into the earth and kick the devil out um, because man or humanity had um, legally handed over um, authority and dominion to Satan. So the only way God could come into um, the process was to have a partnership with humanity. He had to have an agreement with humanity. And the Bible is a book of covenants. In fact, um, there are seven covenants in the Word. Uh, the first was the Edenic covenant. The next, the Adamic covenant. The third was the Noahic covenant. The fourth, the Abrahamic covenant. Um, the fifth was the um, Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Moses. The sixth was the Davidic covenant. And the final, the New Covenant. So everything God has done with man, through which God was able to come into man's context, came through covenant. Because covenant was the only legal means through which God could come into the earth. And every word of God or every scripture or every promise is a covenant word. Psalm 9.34 says, my covenant I will not break nor alter the words that proceed from my lips. So every promise of God is set within the context of one of these seven covenants. And if you are in the covenant, you know the first three covenants were universal covenants. Um, the Edenic covenant, the Adamic covenant, um, the Noahic covenant were for all of humanity. The Abrahamic covenant was with, for Abraham and his seed. But the Bible tells us that if you are of faith, then you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So we are in the Abrahamic covenant. Then the covenant of Moses was a covenant with Moses and his people, the children of Israel. Okay? But through that covenant, Jesus came. Now the covenant of David was with David and his house. Um, but the covenant of the new covenant that you and I are also a part of was a covenant between the Father and Jesus Christ. But if we are in Christ, then all the inheritance that is in Christ belongs to us. 
So the Bible is a book of covenants, and that is why it is called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant. Now, as I said earlier, every covenant had terms. And um, every person that God offered a covenant to accepted it willingly and joyfully uh, because it sounded incredible. Why would God want to partner with me? What have I got to bring to the table? Nothing. So when you read the contents of all the covenants, it's all about God saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. But there was always a human side to it. That human side required worship. Okay? The worship of God. Where you recognized God as your covenant partner and the senior partner in this relationship. So worship was always the human side of the covenant. Whenever human beings, in recognition of covenant, worship God, and they put their faith in the covenant, the door of grace, all the benefits of that covenant will be open to them. Through their worship, they open the door. Everyone say, through their worship, they open the door. Who opened the door? They opened the door. God didn't open the door. They opened the door. Through their worship, they opened the door. Say to your neighbor, you can open the door. Because their worship was an expression of their faith in God. And the worship was expressed in two ways. One was their obedience to God. And second was in their offerings. Their offerings were always done in the context of covenant. In their offerings, they express their faith in God as their source of supply. They express their declaration and their joy in that covenant. And through their obedience and their offerings, they opened the door. And the grace of God flowed in. And it didn't matter what was happening in the earth. Satan um, could not overcome them because... They had opened the door of covenant. Covenant was their protection. Covenant was their peace. Hallelujah. In covenant, there was peace. Because when your covenant partner is God, it doesn't matter what's going on, there is peace. I'm sure you've heard the story about the little girl who was flying first class. And, um, you know, um, a guy walked into the plane and he saw this little girl in first class. And it's, it's, it's usually unusual to see a little girl in first class unless she's Nigerian, you know. So this little girl's in first class, and they take off. And after a few minutes um, into, you know, he's watching this girl with admiration because she wasn't, you know, uh, she wasn't anxious at all, you know, when the plane took off, like some little girls do, get anxious. And then after a few hours into the flight, you know, there was some turbulence. And then, you know, <laughs> like um, uh, Paul Martini was saying the other day, that when there's turbulence and the, um, you know, and the air stewards look, Scared, you know there is a problem, you know. So anyway, there was turbulence and um, everyone was holding onto the chairs. And this little girl, you know, had fallen asleep and she seemed pretty relaxed. And after a while, he couldn't understand what was going on because the turbulence continued for a while. So he woke the little girl up and said, don't you understand what's going on? Uh, she said, yes, I do. He said, uh, you know, this plane could crash. Um, you know, why aren't you afraid? She said, well, I have no reason to be afraid because my dad is the pilot. Yeah. You know, covenant always created rest because in whatever context you're in, if God is your covenant partner, 
and you know he's your covenant partner, and covenant is working for you, you always have rest. And that's why David said in Psalm 27, he said, if war will rise against me, my heart will not fear. Yeah, my heart will not fear because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Okay, so covenant is real. Say to your neighbor, covenant is real. But then say to them again, covenant must be activated. Or say it again, covenant must be activated. For us to be beneficiaries of the covenant that has been established by God, it must be activated. You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, the Bible says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There is a rest remaining for the people of God. Covenant has been established and there is a rest available to you. Covenant was what created rest. Hallelujah. But covenant must be activated. It must be activated. You know, on Facebook this morning, um, I, I posted something. And, um, you know, I, I was meditating on this. And, and, you know, in the kingdom of God, there is kingdom currency. There's kingdom currency. And to transact um, in God's kingdom... You need to use kingdom currency. Only kingdom currency works in the kingdom of God. And I thought about this illustration, and, and it's a very accurate one. If you look at the coin of any sovereign nation, that coin or that note is legal tender. If you use something that is not uh, the coin of the nation, it's not legal tender in that nation. And our kingdom currency is legal tender in the kingdom of God. And the bank of heaven will honor that currency all the time. Every single time. Now, our currency has four parts to it. The, the, the top of the currency or the, the front of the coin is called grace. Everyone say grace. Grace is what God has obligated himself to you through covenant. It's how God has obligated himself to you through covenant. Grace is the power of God that's been released toward you. In other words, grace is the power of covenant. The other side of the coin is called faith. The Bible says in Romans 5, 2, that we have access. We have access by faith into this grace. So grace has already been provided, but our access into grace is something called faith. There is a response of faith that is required by us in order to access what has been given. Hallelujah. Now, what brings the front and the back together of the coin, this edge that brings grace and faith together is Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. But the material of our kingdom coin is love. That's what our coin is made of. You know, some coins are made of gold, some are made of brass, some of ours is made of love. Okay? Now, if in your transaction in God's kingdom, any transaction you have in the kingdom of God, if you start with grace, you see, everything starts with grace. Everything starts with what God has given. It doesn't start with you, it starts with Him. Because it is God that has obligated Himself to humanity. Through covenant by his grace. If you start with grace and you respond by faith. 
And you are open to the Holy Spirit to connect you and make the kingdom real and inspire you and show you what God wants you to do. And you ensure that in everything you do, you walk in love. You do not contravene the will of any human being. You do not usurp any human being in what you are doing. Then the kingdom of heaven, the bank of eternity will honor that which you are transacting about. It doesn't matter what it is. So every covenant must be activated. It must be activated. And when I look in scripture, I see that all offerings were an act of worship in the context of their covenant or relationship with God. And every covenant offering had three attributes. And we went through that last week. Number one, it showed honor. It showed the value we place on God, on the relationship. So there was value in every covenant offering. It showed priority and it showed faith. Value, priority, and faith. Hallelujah. Now, in studying the word, I, um, I have seen four levels of covenant given in scripture. And I mean given in the context of what God has said. That opens up the door to the grace of God available to you. And as a covenant partner with God, you can activate the covenant of God in your life through your obedience to him and through your covenant given. Everyone say covenant given. Or say it again, covenant given. I've seen four levels. You might, there might be more, but I've discovered four. Let me start from tithes and offerings. Yeah, let me start from tithe and offering. Now, now it's, it's interesting in scripture how tithes um, can be traced from the very beginning. And how it was always done freely, willfully, uh, in the context of covenant. In the context of covenant. Um, look at the book of um, Genesis. Let's look at Genesis 14. Genesis 14. Uh, verse 8. Verse 8 says, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Chedolaoma, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Araphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elazar, four kings against five. So the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah were the five that were arrayed against these four kings. Okay? I know it's not about numbers, it's about power, isn't it? 
Verse 10 says, Now the valley of Sidim was full of asphalt pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods. Everyone say all the goods. They took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, or Abraham's nephew, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother Eshel and the brother of Anna, and they were allies with Abraham. Now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, uh, which is the north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. So five kings were arrayed against four kings and they lost. Uh, those kings, according to the rules of war, um, took all the possessions of the, of the five kings, including their people. But Lot was among them. Now Abram took his 318 people trained in his house. Now, I, I, I don't think it's... Um, I think we're going to assume that the five kings had more than 318 people. Okay? Uh, but Abraham, uh, who was actually a wealthy man, uh, I don't know how many people have 318 servants in his own house, or 318 trained servants in his own house, but he divided his forces and attacked them in confidence. And the Bible says he overcame, and now legally, according to the rules of war, everything... Uh, that belonged to the four kings and the five kings belonged to him. Verse 17 says, And the king of Sodom went as far as the valley, uh, to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedolamona and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, that's Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that's Abram, gave him, that's Melchizedek, a tithe of all. He gave a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of men who went with me, Anna, Eshel, and Memra, let them take their portion. So you see here that Abram had victory, and as soon as he had his victory, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, came to Abram and he brought bread and wine. Now, bread and wine, when you understand covenant, is a covenant meal. It is a covenant meal, okay? And he said, blessed be the Abram of God. You know, in covenant, when two people 
cut a covenant, they exchange their names. I know that's what happens in the covenant of marriage. Uh, in the old days when two families um, cut covenant, they would exchange their names and they will have a, a double-barreled name because everywhere you went and you, 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 you introduced yourself, everyone knew that it's not just you on your own. You and this family are one. So if I offend you or if I cheat you in any way, it's not just you I'm dealing with, it's the other family as well. Whenever there was covenant, there was an exchange of names. And that's why in covenant, every time God visited people or visited the descendants of Abraham, he said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Yeah? So they had exchanged names, so there was a double-barreled name between God and humanity. I am their God. You, you offend them, you offend me. But then it also happened the other side. Because Abraham became the Abraham of God. Just like God became the God of Abraham. Are you with me? Uh, so Melchizedek says, blessed be Abraham of God. Blessed be Abraham of God. Whenever God introduced himself, he said, I am the God of Abraham. But whenever Abraham introduced himself, he said, I am the Abraham of God. So this was, everything that was being done here was being done in the context of covenant. As he came to Melchizedek, he says, Melchizedek, I recognize that I have a, a covenant partner. The reason why we overcame these five kings or four kings is because I, I am the Abram of God. God is on my side. I have leveraged the resources of Almighty God. So they had a covenant meal and in recognition of the God that had empowered him and gave him victory, the Bible says that Abram gave a tithe of all. Now, a tithe is not a spiritual word. A tithe is just Old English for tenth. Now, I have no idea why he gave a tithe, why he gave a tenth. All we know is that he gave a tenth of all. It was not requested. It was not demanded. It was given by grace and faith in recognition of his covenant partner and activating uh, the covenant that was upon his life. Amen. Now look at what happens to Abraham's son. Look at... Um, Genesis 28. This is Abram's grandson. Genesis 28, verse 20. So this is where Jacob has escaped from his brother Esau. And he, he was asleep. Uh, he, he, he had a vision or a dream. And um, he was on his way to Laban. He was just starting out in life. He was just starting out, a young man. He hadn't made his first million yet. In fact, he had no prospects. Because right now, he was running away from home. <laughs> you know, um, uh, his dad was upset with him. His brother wanted to kill him. I mean, imagine starting life out that way. <laughs> and you thought you had a rough, uh, a rough start. 
Um, but but he, he had this vision of God. And um, the Bible says in verse 18, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. Um, and he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been called Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, if God will be with me. That is a covenant phrase. Yeah? Because nobody had a right to, um, to call on God to be with them except in the context of covenant. I mean, on what basis will God be with you? Who do you think you are exactly? Yeah? So that in itself was a covenant phrase. He said, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I am going and will give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give what? A tenth to you. I will surely give a tenth to you. So he was saying that God, if you will activate or if you would manifest your covenant in my life, because the covenant to Abraham was an everlasting covenant to Abraham and his seed. So Jacob knew that he was part of this covenant. And he said, God, if you will be my God. You know, the thing about covenant is this. Every generation must activate the covenant in their lives. Amen. In every generation, you must stand up before God and you must sign your signature to this covenant that God, this covenant that is mine, I am activating it in my life today. I make a decision that even though I am starting from minus, if you will be my God, if you will fulfill in my life what you have said, I will obey you. I bow my knees to you. I will worship you with my life, oh God. Let the covenant that is mine, the covenant of my fathers, I want God in my life. I want God in my family. I want God in my business. I see myself in this new covenant. And therefore, I activate this covenant over my life today. You know, God is looking for people that will transact with him. Are you with me? He's looking for people that will transact with him. That will be serious with him. You know, Isaac came back years later to this place called Bethel. Because God, I mean, showed himself as God. And he brought everything as he had honored, as he had vowed before God. He brought a tithe to God. Now, I don't know the significance of the tenth. I don't know it. But I know that right from Abraham, the tithe seemed to be the beginning of the life of a man or a woman that was activating the covenant of God upon their lives. It seemed to be an expression or a recognition of the hand of God upon their lives in covenant and the way they began honoring God. And it seemed as though that through the tithe, they sanctified the rest and caused God to express himself in their lives. It doesn't matter how much the tithe is. But there seemed to be something about this tenth. 
And it was always done willingly. It was always done joyfully. Because they understood that it was being done in the context of covenant. You know, um, in the Old Testament, um, or rather, um, after the Abrahamic covenant, even in the Mosaic covenant, in all the covenants, the tithe was there. In the Mosaic covenant, um, they have the law of the tithe. And look at this in uh, Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. Look at how they give their tithes under the covenant of Moses. It says, and it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some, everyone say some. You shall take some of the first, everyone say first, of all, everyone say all. So a proportion of the first. The proportion of the first speaks about priority, doesn't it? You know, I said every covenant gift always has priority, value, and faith. He said, take a proportion of the first. And then he says, you shall, you shall bring it from the land. Uh, verse 2 says that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord, of, Lord your God is giving you. I'm putting it in a basket. And go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him. So this wasn't just um, you plunked it and forgot about No, no, no. You brought some of the first and then you declared certain things before God. The priest was a representative of God. You declared before God, and you shall say, I declare today, the Lord your God, uh, to the Lord your God, that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say, before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. So he's saying, Lord, I remember how I started. And then he said, and there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place, and he has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God, and what? And what? And worship before the Lord your God. So, this tithe, bringing the tithe and declaring this to God was an act of worship, wasn't it? Let's go on. It says, so you shall rejoice in every good thing. Which the Lord your God has given you and your house, you and the Levite, and the stranger who is among you, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so you may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. 
And also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandments which you have given me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgiven, for, forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God, and I've done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, I, I think you need, a, you know, you need a theology degree to confuse this passage because for me it is very clear, all right? This was an act of worship and now he introduced a new phrase. He says, your holy tithe. I have taken the holy tithe from my house and I've used it to worship. Yeah? And then in the context of the declaration, he says, now look from heaven and bless. So he's saying as a human being on earth, even though I have started small in my worship, in my tithing, I am putting my faith in you. Therefore, show yourself as my God. Hallelujah. This was a personal transaction between a human being and God activating a covenant that God had made with his forefathers. Amen. Now, it's interesting that he talks about the tithing, um, tithing being the third year or the third year being the year of what? Of tithing. Look at Deuteronomy just to give some clarity to that. Look at Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 says, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his holy name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand, go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part, no inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your gates, may come and what? Eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So they tithe every year of everything they had. If they were into agriculture, they brought ten, a tenth of everything. If they were into livestock, they brought a tenth of everything. And they came and they, they, if they couldn't make the journey, they exchanged it for money. Uh, went to the, the, the Jerusalem or where the name of the Lord was 
And then this thing was used for food and they all ate. And then every third year they stayed home and the, the tithe in the third year was given to the priests and the strangers and the fathers within them. They sat down and they ate. So the people that ate the tithe was they themselves. But it was brought before the Lord in worship. You know, in Malachi 3.10, he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be what? Meat in my house. So even though God receives the tithe as worship, the tithe is brought into the house of God and it is spent for things that we all benefit from. Now, isn't that grace? But God takes it as your tithe. He blesses you for it. But then he even blesses you in the use of it. Hallelujah. So we see that the tithe or the tenth of increase was always done in the context of covenant. It was a willing worship. And like Malachi 3.10 says, he said, I'll open the, the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, I believe that you'll only want to get out of the tithe if you think it's a bad deal. But if you understand it as your worship, which is part of the covenant, and, the covenant op- and you understand that the covenant opens the door to God's grace in your life, you'll be like these people that tithe with joy. Hallelujah. You know, even right now, till today, the Jews tithe. And it's no surprise that they're one of the wealthiest people that ever lived and still live in our, in our world today. I said to you a few months ago that John D. Rockefeller, who is the, the older Rockefeller, made this statement. He said, I will never have been able to tithe the first million dollars um, I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. He said, I will never have been able to tithe a million dollars if I did not tithe my first 150. You see, for God, it's not the amount. For God, it is your faith and you worshiping him and honoring him. Hallelujah. And you know, it doesn't matter if it's 150. Once you do it by faith and you do it recognizing what you are doing, it is a personal transaction between you and God activating a covenant that he has already enacted. God will enter into your space. Hallelujah. God will enter into your space. God will expand your life. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, in, uh, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 10, look at Joshua 7, 10. And then we'll move on. In Joshua 7, verse 10, we see... Uh, <laughs> And also interesting thing that happened, um, Joshua and the people of Israel had just um, been victorious um, over the city of Jericho. And God did an incredible thing. You know, God gave them the strategy. God gave them the strategy for Jericho. You, you know, your life is meant to be, to demonstrate spiritual power. If God is in manifestation in your life, then there ought to be things that you are experiencing that people can't explain. Are you with me? Your progress should not be logical because God is not, God is a spiritual being. You know, God told them to walk around Jericho for seven days. For seven days be silent, 
on the seventh day, walk around Jericho for seven times, and on the seventh time, um, make a loud noise. And if you go study it, the reason why the, the Jerichans, <laughs> the inhabitants of Jericho were so confident was because they had a wall surrounding their city. And archaeologists tell us that the wall was so thick that they used to have um, horse chariot races on the wall. Yeah? They were so thick that they could have chariot races on the wall. So they were very confident in themselves. But you know, something happened. If you study it out right, you see that when they obeyed God and walked around, the, around Jericho for seven days, and on the seventh day they walked around seven times and they made a shout, the Bible says that the, the wall of Jericho went down before them. The wall of Jericho didn't crumble. The wall of Jericho went into the ground. Because the next verse says, the army went straight into the city. Now, if you have a high wall that is so thick and the wall crumbles, you are not going to be walking straight into the city. The wall of Jericho went into the ground. Now, that is when God is on your side. Are you with me? And, you know, the people of Jericho were so bewildered by what happened that the, 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 uh, the victory was instant. So the next city that they had, um, they were meant to confront was Ai. And Ai was a very small place. And the people came to Joshua and said, Joshua, I mean, I mean, compared to Jericho, I mean, look at what God did for it. Ai is like, just ha let's have three, I think it was like 300 men or 3,000 men. Let them go face Ai. But you know, when they got to Ai, they were soundly defeated. And Joshua could not understand why they would be defeated. And he went before God and he began to pray. And he was, I mean, defeat was not part of their DNA. Because if God is with you, if Jehovah, El Elyon, the most high God, is in manifestation in your life, defeat will not be your portion. In fact, if you ever get defeated, you'll be surprised and you'll go back to God. Uh, are you with me? So Joshua went before God and was like, how can this happen to us? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, they have put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because... Thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. You know, Israel should not have been victorious with their enemies because they didn't have the numbers. They didn't necessarily have the skill. The only reason why Israel had victory after victory was because they were in covenant with God. I mean, how many times have you gone up to the mountain and lifted up your hands and you're winning because you lift up your hands? I mean, what's that about? The only reason why they had victory after victory was because they fulfilled their part of the covenant 
and therefore God could legally step in. You know, God wants to step in, but he has to do it legally. Hallelujah. He has to do it legally. So he said to, to Joshua, I don't know why you are making a lot of noise. He said, get up. The New Living Translation put verse 13 this way. He says, get up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the, the Lord, the God of Israel says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Hallelujah. This was a blessing, not a curse. He said, you'll never defeat your enemies until you remove. It wasn't like God was working against them. It was like, you know what? This is the product of your strength. You don't have enough. I want to help you. You will never have my strength unless you remove the accursed thing from among you. Yeah? The tithe is holy and it belongs to God. Hallelujah. We must um, give of our tithes of faith, in joy, in recognition of who God is in our lives, and celebrating what he's doing, and we will see more and more of his manifestation in our lives. So that is one key I have seen, uh, one kind of giving for activating uh, the power of God in our lives. The second um, that I have seen is, um, is given to the poor. Look at, um, look at the book of Psalm chapter 41. Uh, Exodus twenty two twenty five. the Bible says that if you lend money, this is in the Amplified. It says, if you lend money to any of my people who is poor, you shall not be to him as a creditor, nor shall you require interest from him. In Exodus 22, 25, it says, if you lend money to any of my people that is poor, don't require interest. Now, is it that the Lord doesn't understand business? He does. Because in Proverbs nineteen seventeen, it says, if you help the poor... You are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. So he's saying that if you lend to my people, don't um, require interest. Because what you are doing is you are lending the money to me. Yes, they will pay you back, but I will pay you your interest. Yeah, you are lending to me. Okay, this is a covenant. There's, there's an activation of grace when we invest in the poor. Hallelujah. You know, every given that I see in Scripture was always intentional. People didn't just, okay. And that's why I said last week that God is not, even, God is not into uh, charitable giving. And when I say charitable giving, I'm qualifying that. Um, you know, every gift is a gift of love, but the giving in the Scriptures is covenant giving. There's always a context to it. There's, a, there's an understanding that there's a covenant principle that is being activated. So whenever you give to the poor, the Bible encourages you to give intentionally. Uh, are you with me? Uh, give intentionally. Let there be value. Let there be priority. Let there be faith. Hallelujah. Because there is something that is going on um, between you and God in that gift. Have you found Psalm 41 yet? Now look at this. I'll read from verse 1. It says, oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. I'm reading for the New Living Translation. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to what? The poor. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. 
The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. Wow. Wow. You, you know, there's sometimes when uh, we, we know that there is healing in the covenant and we activate that healing, um, you know, as we believe God's word and, and step out in faith. But it, it, it's like there's a grace for healing that is available to those who give to the poor. Are you with me? It, it's like there's a separate door. It's almost like in a kingdom having different kinds of coins. You have coins, you have notes, you have different denominations. But it's like there is a grace for those that give to the poor by faith. He says the Lord will rescue them when they're in trouble. The Lord will bring healing into their lives. That is part of the lending to the Lord that the Lord repays. You know, this was the principle that Daniel was trying to activate in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that he was going to be judged by God. He had lifted up himself in pride. And he was going for seven years, he was going to be like, uh, like, uh, like an animal, you know, and he was, almost, he was essentially going to lose his mind. And when Daniel came before Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, 27, he made this statement. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. And do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then the Lord will continue to prosper you. Daniel was trying to help Nebuchadnezzar to activate the grace of covenant that is released when we give to the poor. If you look at Acts chapter 10 and you look at the the story of Cornelius, who was the first non-Jew to get born again. You know, God is no respecter of persons, but God is a respecter of faith. Say to your neighbor, God is no respecter of persons, but God is a respecter of faith. Now, why did God choose Cornelius to be the first person on earth that would get born again? That was not a Jew. Why? Did God choose Cornelius? In Acts chapter 10 verse 1, it says there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Verse 2 says he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the poor. You know, we, we tend to see the poor as irritation that we have to put up with. You know, you're driving down the road in your car. And, you know, the other week, let me just, you know, I have a way of outing myself. The other week, I was driving down the road and um, I'm behind this guy who has a, uh, a really nice, who's driving a really nice Porsche um, Panamera, a Porsche Panamera GTS, a brown one. And he's right in front of me next to uh, four points there. And he has a throng of people just come over because a Porsche Panamera shall attract 
And they all came over and they were trying to wipe his windscreen and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was very concerned for him because I was concerned about the, the prints on the car. I'm just outing myself now. And I was looking at this guy thinking, man, poor guy, you know. And the, the guy, you know, he didn't give, but I, I could see a scenario where if I were in the same situation, before they come to the car, I'll get out of the car and I'll be distributing the money. I don't know about you. I can, I can see that happening because I was thinking, man. So, you know, sometimes we look at the poor as an irritation that we have to put up with. Okay? Um, but, you know, the Bible says that Cornelius had a different mindset. He said he gave generously to the poor. He gave generously to the poor. There was something that Cornelius understood. Yes, he was given in love, but there was, there's a principle behind it. He, understand, he understood that he was activating something. Now, now, look at the consequence of that. Verse 3 says, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, now what covenant are we in here? We're in the new covenant, aren't we? He says, your prayers and your arms. You know, sometimes we, we relegate some of these things to, oh, it's old covenant. I'm under grace. Every covenant was a covenant of grace. Every covenant in the Bible was a covenant of grace because it always started with God obligating himself by his grace to humanity. But every covenant needed faith to connect with it. This is the new covenant. And the angel comes to him and says, your arms have come up before God. One translation says, your offerings have come up. And he has kept them in mind. Wow. I mean, there's some things you read in scripture and you just want to cry. He says, your offerings have come up. And he has kept them in mind. Do you think it's the amount of money that he gave? No, it is the fact that those offerings were an expression of faith in God. They were an expression of understanding of covenant. They were an expression of priority and value. One translation says, he has seen what you give to the poor as a sacrifice to be remembered. He has seen what you give to the poor as a sacrifice to be remembered. One translation said that your acts have come up to the notice of God. Wow. Your acts have come up. Your giving to the poor has come up to the notice of God. God, God lives among the poor. Hallelujah. If you want to find out where God is, go among the poor. And when a person steps into that context... And begins to give consciously to the poor. To bless them. You are lending to God. And your offering will come up before God as a memorial. Hallelujah. And there are things that will only be open to you as a result of that action. Hallelujah. And it's part of the covenant. Let, let me, uh, I won't be able to go to the, through the other two. But let's just finish this off. 
Um, and then I'll continue this on the 22nd or something. After our Vision Sunday. Look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 verse 6. So when we talk about getting involved in the soup kitchen, you know, we shouldn't be seeing it as, okay, I'm just volunteering my time. Okay, we're giving you an opportunity. When you understand covenant, we're giving you an opportunity to enter into a context where through your giving, you open up the door to the grace of God in your life. Every given in the scriptures was always done in the context of covenant. Isaiah 58 verse 6, and I'll read one more verse and then we'll close. Hallelujah. Isaiah 58 verse 6. Now let's talking about fasting. Verse 6 says, Is this not the fast I have chosen? To lose the bands of, the, of wickedness and undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed grow free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you come to your house or on that, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from, their, from, your, hide yourself from your own flesh. Then, everyone say then. It says, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry. He will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speak in wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. He, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You know, I have seen people claim this that don't give to the poor. Isn't it amazing that we can choose which part of the verse we obey and then we dive into the benefits these are benefits to those who give to the poor. Hallelujah. And a person who activates the covenant this way can stand before God and just worship God. You don't need to remind God. He knows. Just worship God. And say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, O God, because my light breaks forth like the morning. You will, you will lay before God and you will pray over your business. And the Lord will give you insight and revelation. Hallelujah. Because you are activating covenant in your life. Amen. You are activating covenant in your life. Last is Psalm 112 verse 9. Speaking about people like you, he says, They shall share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Because they give generously to those in need, the Bible says their good deeds will be remembered when? Forever. And they will have influence and honor. Hallelujah. God will give you influence. God will give you honor. But the Bible says that when the Lord comes back, will he find faith in the earth? The Lord is looking for faith because faith is how we respond to grace. Hallelujah. The faith in our tithes and offering. The faith in our giving to the poor. The faith that we express through our worship as we give in covenant giving. 
is what God is looking for. And that's what unlocks the door of grace in our lives. Hallelujah. Amen. 